so good. Man, is it a life laid down, then here I make my vows. What a line. I used to be afraid of that stuff. I grew up in church, so um, I knew that like saying something like that would require me to uh, do it. <laughs> and then I also knew that, you know, by the time I got to the next week, I'd be picking it back up and having to lay it down again. But I think that's what Paul meant when he said we are living sacrifices, right? Such a good song. We're going to have to keep laying it down. Thank you, worship team. You guys, awesome, awesome day. You can have a seat. Whew. All right. So, week two. I haven't even told you the name of the sermon series yet. I'm going to wait till like week four. I'm not even kidding. So, there it is. Thank you, Jonathan. (laughs) It's heavy. Um, Thank you. All right. I have like six different intros I want to do. I'll just do the one that I actually wrote down. Uh, So, there's a lot of um, interesting people in my uh, grad school Back in the day, uh, my master's program at Malone University, um, a lot of guys I liked. I feel like I have to premise this with, like, there was a lot of classmates I like. I still have one guy who I know who is a good friend of mine still, um, but there were some weirdos too, I got to be real. There was this one guy who re- just, just insisted on asking questions over and over and over again, um, to the point that the only way I could cope with the amount of questions he asked was to keep track of his questions and... See if you could beat the last week with this week. Like he had to turn it into a game to not get mad about it. That's how bad it was. Just so you know, he averaged 20 questions a class. 20. I think his high was in the 30s. It was ridiculous. We were not friends. There was another guy who was a grumpy old Baptist preacher. Um, I don't know if you could guess, but we did not get along. <laughs> we used to do these little breakouts in these little uh, like small groups, and we got in an argument that was so loud that the professor actually had to stop us. It was kind of embarrassing. And if you were wondering, I was winning the argument. Um, but there was some really cool guys. There's this one guy, um, I learned a lot from him. Uh, he was a Desert Storm veteran, Desert Storm veteran. And he was intimidating. Um, not for the normal way, like I could, there's three different ways I could kill you right now, kind of a guy. But he was intimidating because he was so smart. I don't know if, like, you ever met somebody who, like, you can't guess what they're going to say because it's so, like, out there. But he's not weird out there, just smart out there. Like, he'd have some crazy deep insight that you'd be like, oh, my gosh. I feel stupid just being in your presence. Really cool guy. So he, he had to give a presentation once, and he told this story about Desert Storm. I don't know if it's true or not. He may have embellished. I don't know. I'm just, that's my premise. So if you were in the military and you're like, that's not the way it went, well, it's not my story. It's this other guy's story. Okay, there you go. Um, he said that he was over there when it first started, and at first, um, everything they did uh, as the military was, was real quiet, stealthy. You know, they, didn't, they didn't want the enemy to know where they were, so it was all nighttime stuff, it was all stealth stuff, radio silence, everything was real quiet. The goal was to get the enemy to either not think they were there at all, or um, to just not think that they were moving or doing anything. That was the first. Then, when things kind of got going, he said one of his jobs was to get on the radio and bark out false orders to no one at all, to give completely fake commands to fake troops And he said there was a bunch of different people doing this as kind of a campaign of misinformation so the enemy just thought that they were everywhere at once. Um, So at first the strategy was to get them to not think they were there at all. And then the strategy was to get the enemy to think that they were everywhere, all the time, kind of panicked. I think, well, I thought that was pretty neat insight into the workings of the American war machine. 
but I also think it's an insight into the spiritual war that we fight. I think Satan operates this exact same way. He either wants you to think that he's nowhere, he's not doing anything, or he wants you to think he is behind every inconvenience in your life, right? And I also think that each person kind of has a tendency towards one or the other. I don't know if it's a personality trait we should come up with. It'd be like the Christian personality test. We're like, are you the person who doesn't think Satan's there at all? Or are you the crazy one who thinks he's everywhere? Like, which one are you? Um, so, so let me speak to you if you're kind of over here and you're in the place where you're like, I don't know, like I don't think about Satan a lot. And maybe, just so you know, statistically speaking, According to Barna, like 40% of Christians don't even believe Satan's real. So I think that's high. I, I shouldn't say, I don't know. Barna seems like a smart guy. Um, but if that's true, even if it's kind of true, then some might be sitting in here going, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If you're watching online, you might, you might be there. So let me just give you real quick two reasons why I think Satan is real. Um, one, and this is really the only one you need, uh, Jesus believe that Satan was real, right? That's, I don't know, do, do I need number two now that I said that one? I mean, Jesus uh, spoke about him often and spoke about him as if he was a real, actual being. Um, so that one's kind of important to me. And then I'll just say my second one, unnecessary, but like empirical evidence, look around. I don't know. I look at the world and I see so much darkness that I don't think it can be explained by just human. It seems like there's, there's places in this earth where there's got to be a dark, real, spiritual being at work. Um, so if you're over here, or maybe if you're all the way in the camp of, I don't know about Satan, like that doesn't seem real to me. Um, well, that's exactly what I want you to think. <laughs> and you not believing in him does not stop him from working in your life. It's not going to stop him. But I think, <laughs> at least in the circles I run in, that's not normally where I find people. I usually find people over here who think that Satan is just behind everything in their life, right? I burned my toast in the morning. Satan! Ah! <laughs> And I just want to be like, is it though? <laughs> Maybe your toaster's old. I don't know. Have you cleaned it in a while? <laughs> like, or like, you know, your nose is all stuffy. Oh, the devil's out to get me. Or it's allergy season. I don't know, right? Does it have to be Satan? Does he have to be behind everything? Now, those are silly. And I know some people like that, man. Any inconvenience in their life, it's the devil. He's trying to get them. And I know a lot of people like that. I don't care about the silly things. I think it's stupid, but I don't care about the silly things. Where I, where I find a problem is when people take it to the point where they start blaming a lot of different things on Satan. Um, like, my marriage is bad. Satan must be attacking my marriage. And okay, I think it's more likely he's attacking your marriage than your toaster, just so you know. But if you use Satan as attacking my marriage as, as, as like a, a way to relinquish your responsibility, like, yeah, maybe Satan is attacking your marriage, but maybe you're kind of selfish. Maybe you're not very good at communicating. Don't, don't blame Satan for, for the thing that maybe you have some responsibility. Or, oh, Satan's attacking our kids. Or maybe you just don't discipline them. Maybe you let them disrespect you without any consequences. You know what I'm saying? Like, Don't use your belief that Satan is attacking you as a, as a way to relinquish your responsibility. It's kind of like a devil made me do it kind of an attitude. I hate that. If you ever come to me for counseling and you say the devil made me do it, I'm going to punch you in the face and tell you that. <laughs> Tell you the devil made me do it. <laughs> what are you going to do? That's a di I did not learn that in grad school. Um, it's a special school I went to, the face-punching school. <laughs> All right, so um, last week we talked about the idea that God is a lion-like God, right? 
Um, we looked at several verses where God himself like, compares himself to a lion, and it's a good way to understand it. I think um, a lot of our perceptions of God are a little off, and a lion kind of gives us an anchor point to understand God better if we understand him uh, having lion-like qualities. But I know that some of you last week were a little thrown off by this because um, the most famous verse in the Bible about a lion actually isn't about God. <laughs> it's about Satan. Um, so some of you were thinking that, like, if you type in lion verse into the Bible, the one that will come up is not about God, it's about Satan. Uh, it's 1 Peter 5, uh, 8, and we'll also read 9. It says this, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him, be strong in your faith. Remember that your family believers, all of the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. So that's kind of weird, right? That Satan and God are kind of on opposite ends of the spiritual spectrum, and the Bible uses the same animal to describe both of them. You would expect it to be the opposite, right? But somehow, we get both of them being described as a lion. Now, I want to explain that here in just a second, but let me kind of tell you where I'm going here. So I want to give you three ways that Satan is like a lion, um, kind of like we did last week with God. Um, but this is really important because... Because the verses we just read, keep in mind, the verses we just read said that Satan is not just some enemy out there. He said he is your enemy, your great enemy. So whoever's on your list of enemies that you have in your head, or maybe you have a list of enemies on your phone, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about that. But um, like if you keep track of that kind of thing, like bump whoever's number one down and put Satan at the top. He is your great enemy. So it's good to know your enemy. Okay, so this is really important. Three ways that Satan is like a lion. Number one, and this one's kind of obvious. I think you already knew this one. Satan is a deceiver. He is a deceiver. And there's two pieces to this. One answers the question why Satan and God are both described as a lion. Um, and I find this fascinating. Um, the reason that, that Satan is compared to a lion and God is compared to a lion in the Bible is because Satan, um, <laughs> he wants to be like God. That's actually kind of one of his things. He wants um, not to be like God in his character, but he wants God's position and power. He wants God's throne. So he wants to be like God. Um, Isaiah 14, uh, 13 and 14, talking about Satan, says this, For you said to yourself, Satan, I will ascend to heaven and I'll set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb the highest heavens and be like the Most High. Satan wants to be like God. So he's, he's a pretender. He's a charlatan, a fraud. He's a poser. Satan is a poser, okay? He's a pathetic imitation of the Lion of Judah. Um, so there's this, uh, I told you guys last week, I'm limiting myself to one C.S. Lewis reference per sermon, this, this sermon series I'm going to do it. This is it, this is it, get ready. Um, so Lion, Witch, on the Road, I know... Most of you, you've probably watched the movie, not read the books, and yes, I'm the nerd that will say you should read the books, the books are better. There, we said it. But there's one part in the movie that's really cool um, that's not in the book, actually. So uh, at the very end, she kills Aslan, and uh, the witch kills Aslan, and she's coming into the kind of the final battle. It's her outfit. Have you ever noticed this detail? Whoever did this, I, f I love them. I want to be their friend because they like understand something really cool. Uh, about the way, I think C.S. Lewis would like it too. So her outfit, she took part of Aslan's mane and made it like a collar. And then her, her crown or tiara or whatever has like golden teeth. It looks like a lion's maw. So she's kind of dressing up like a lion. She's pretending to be the true lion. I love that. Like that's such a deep insight that she would do that, that it wasn't just killing him. She wants to be him. And that's so much 
like Satan. He wants to put on this charade, this, this outward appearance that he is God. That's what Satan wants. He de- he's a deceiver in that he wants to present himself. The way he shows himself to us, he wants to deceive. Um, God is like a lion in the best ways that you can be. Satan is like a lion in the worst ways you can be. So, and one of those ways, so the other way he's like a deceiver um, is because lions are kind of like deceivers, which is weird, by the way. But you know, that's the way they hunt, right? They deceive. Um, they're ambush predators. They, you think they're over there and they're actually right next to you. But that is weird because lion, I mean, when you think about a lion, it's powerful, it's big, it's got claws and teeth. Um, forgive, I just, I'll lean into the nerd thing today. So, you know, when you're playing a video game, you can kind of create your character and they have different types of characters. You totally know this, just play, play along. Um, like there's the, the character where it's the big guy with the axe, the two-handed axe, and he's the brute. He has high hit points and he has high damage he can do. And he's the guy who just trudges into battle. He does not care if anybody sees him. He's just going to swing his axe and kill everybody. You could be that character. That's usually the one I am. Or you could be a rogue who's kind of sneaky, low hit points, low damage, but he can, he can do other things on the battlefield and kind of sneak around and mess things up. Okay, sorry, totally lost you all. But anyways, Satan is kind of a, a weird combination of both because you wouldn't think of a lion as needing stealth. But, you know, a lion can't just walk up to an antelope, right? It kind of has to sneak up. So uh, it's got a little bit of both going on. So I would say Satan is fierce compared to us, but he's also a deceiver. He's a liar. He relies on deception. He relies on a false belief in order to attack. This is why, so if, if lies and deception are Satan's main weapons, this is why it's so important for us to know truth, right? If, if his weapons are lies and deceit, our main weapon has to be truth, right? This is why, can it be the, the, the youth group pastor again? I got, I, this is why it's so important to be reading your Bible regularly. So important because you need to know truth in order to fight the deception. If his weapon is to come in and feed you lies, you need to be so full of truth that he can't feed you anything like that. I know that's... <laughs> what did you learn about in church today? I was supposed, I'm supposed to read my Bible more. That's new. New insight for you. Um, but I don't know, like... Imagine knowing your Bible so well that when Satan comes and like whispers in your ear, you could immediately go, liar, nah, nah. Like imagine knowing it that well, that he wouldn't be able to get in there, that he wouldn't be able to whisper something in your ear, not for long, that you would immediately go, nah, I know the truth, that's not true. That would be, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? To be able to fight back like that. So can I tell you <laughs> one of Satan's favorite ways to deceive, one of Satan's favorite ways to lie to you. I'm nervous to tell you. Because I always, I talk about this kind of often, and I feel like, well, people get defensive. So the way Satan lies to you is through your feelings a lot. Go ahead, let that wash over you. I get nervous, Because listen, I'll say it, feelings are real, feelings are valid, yes. But Satan can use your feelings, which are real, which are valid, to trick you with what is false. He can. He can. Um, So for example, I don't know if you're familiar with, or heard it a lot, people will say the sentence like, live your truth. You ever heard people say that? Maybe you said it. I'm sorry, ahead of time. Um, But one, that saying doesn't make any sense. Can we just all be on the same page? Like at least for the dictionary definition of truth, you can't say that. Um, because true is true, whether it's yours or mine, like we don't really own it, it just is, right? The sky is blue, 
regardless of what you think of the color of it, right? Um, so what I think, here's what I mean. I think what they, what they mean when they say live your truth, what I think they really mean if they were more honest, is live how you feel. That's what I think they really mean. Um, because, again, true is kind of true, but how, you, how everybody feels is unique. And, and maybe your, your perspective, your current situation going on on the inside, what they're telling you is to be true to your feelings. And on one level, I just want to say, I kind of get it, okay? So, like, I know that, like, I can imagine this person who's been living this beat-down life, and they've never followed their dreams, so they're like, be true to yourself, and, like, I get that. Like, that's, that's good advice for that person. But by and large, like, being true to your feelings is really dangerous advice because, again, I'm not saying your feelings aren't real. I'm not saying your feelings aren't valid. I'm just saying your feelings will lead you down the wrong path sometimes, Right? And you know this already. I, I felt the other day like eating an entire package of soft batch cookies. You know those Keebler soft batch? I could eat all of them. I, and that, I don't even have to try very hard. I eat a row and I'm like, how is it gone already? I felt my feelings told me eat them all. Now, if, if I follow the advice that I should just, you know, be true to my feelings, then I should have done it. And I was, I was denying my true feelings by not doing it. But I feel like my true feelings would lead me to be 400 pounds, so I don't follow those true feelings, okay? Um, and that's just a silly example, but I think Satan does this kind of thing all the time, doesn't he? We, our feelings lead us towards something that is actually not good for us in the world, saying, be true to your feelings. And I want to say, well, maybe, <laughs> as long as it's true to God's word, like, let's, let's compare it to what God wants us to do. Sometimes your feelings lead you in the right way, sometimes they don't. So I think it's just dangerous. I think Satan will use our feelings a lot. I think it's just kind of one of his big plays lately is to use our feelings to lead us and deceive us uh, into the, the wrong thing. And I, I just want to say this. So I don't think feelings are bad. I actually think Christians need to continually bring our feelings under the lordship of Jesus. Okay? Um, allow Jesus to sit over your feelings in your life um, because you're not going to feel like forgiving sometimes, but Jesus says you need to do it, so you need to submit to that, even if you don't feel like it. You're not going to feel like putting others first sometimes, but, but it, Jesus says to, so you're, you're going to need to do it. So you need to put your feelings underneath what Jesus wants for you in your life. Let Jesus be king. Let your feelings be secondary. Um, and I, uh, just another observation about feelings I think I've noticed in my life is not a set it and forget it thing, you know? Like it's not... It's, it's a daily maintenance kind of a thing. It's a habits kind of a thing. You're going to have to keep up with this. It's an hour to hour, sometimes minute to minute uh, maintenance that you need to do on those feelings to submit to God's truth um, and not allow Satan to deceive you with what's going on in here. So Satan as a liar is a deceiver. The second thing is that Satan uh, as a lion is a destroyer. Satan deceives in order to destroy. That's his goal. Uh, John 10.10 10 is one of the most important verses in the Bible because it sums up this battle for the cosmos, this battle in every human heart, the battle for the soul of the spiritual universe. I really feel like this is, this is it, man. John 10.10 10 says this, and this is Jesus speaking. He says about Satan, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That is it. That is the, the battle of the universe right there lined up. Jesus just says it in two sentences. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus wants to give you life and life to the full, to the brim. That's it. So the question is, and I think this is the battle in your heart, whether you realize it or not, is do you believe that? Now, good little Christian, I know, yes, of course I believe that, right? But do you? 
Because from the very beginning, this has been the lie. You know that, right? This is where, this is where Satan attacks. You wouldn't think, but this is it. Isn't this what he told Eve? It, didn't he walk up to Eve and go, that fruit that God told you not to eat, it actually would be better for you if you did. Didn't that what he said? That actually, your life isn't quite full. Now, Jesus said he's going to give you life to the fullest or you know, a rich and satisfying life, but your life would be more satisfying if you did the thing he said not to do. Isn't that what he said? And essentially what he's trying to get her to do is to distrust God's heart. He didn't want her to believe that, that he came to give her a rich and satisfying life. He wanted her to distrust God's heart in order to destroy her. Eve's destruction began when she started to distrust God's heart. And I think this is still his play today. He still wants you to distrust God's heart, knowing that it will ultimately destroy you. And I think the, the places he's going to do it, it's, you're not going to think. It's not going to be here. Satan's not going to whisper in your ear, Jesus doesn't really want you to have a rich, satisfying life here. Of course not. You're in church. He's going to leave you alone right now. It's going to be when you get home and you see, you're tempted to do that thing that you know God doesn't want you to do, and then Satan's going to come in and go, your life would be better if you did it. That's when he's going to do it. And yet this is, I'm telling you, this is the battle. This is where Satan wants to beat you. This is where he wants to tear down your, your mind and get you to think, I would be better if I did what God told me not to do or if I would not do what God has told me to do. He wants you to believe that. And then built into that is this little bit of a distrust of God's heart. You actually, whether you realize it or not, are, are, are telling God, I don't think you have my best interest at heart. That's crazy. So... <laughs> Can I share my experience with you? I have it now. It's official. I have a 10-year 10 10 thing. I've been here 10 years. I have experience. I can share it with you now. I have enough gray hair that I can share experience. Um, so I've interacted with a lot of people. I've done a lot of premarital counseling. I've done a lot of marriage counseling. I've done a lot of counseling counseling. I've just talked. And I've listened. I like to listen. I mean, I really like to listen to the way people um, describe things. I listen to what they don't say. I listen to the pauses. I really like to listen to, to the way people think about things. And in my experience... Uh, I have found that there are two categories of people's life where they have the hardest time trusting God's heart. Hardest time. And they're kind of obvious. I guess it's not that deep of an insight. But um, the places where we struggle the most to trust God's heart are our sex life and our money. Those two. Look how quiet I got. That proves me right. Thank you. Those are it. That's where we struggle. Um, so people have a really hard time trusting God's heart when it comes to their sex life. Really hard. I think the common view is that the biblical sexual ethic, or in other words, what the Bible says about sex, um, is unnecessarily restrictive, uh, a moral straitjacket, rules that suffocate our true sexual expression, whatever. Um, and that's just what Satan wants you to think. Just like he whispered to Eve in the Garden of Eden, he's whispering to you now, God's way is not best. God is holding out on you. God's, God's playing a cruel joke on you. He set you up with these desires and then put rules that stop you from going towards them. That's what Satan wants you to think about God. Your best life is outside of how God wants you to live. He said that about fruit in the garden. He's saying it about your sex life now. But that's not God's heart. See, God knew that when he created sex, that it was the, one of the most powerful things in the universe and he, it needed a proper place. It needed guardrails. It needed boundaries. And sex outside of those boundaries is a dangerous and damaging and destroying thing in your life. 
guesses. But if you look back over your life, some of the biggest points of pain involve sex outside of the boundaries God created for it. Either, either directly involved in it or it's on the peripheral. Think about it. Your worst pain in your life probably has that somewhere in the picture. Isn't that evidence? Satan is a liar and God is true. And that his, his word actually has your best interest at heart. I really believe, I really believe that the person who lives their entire life surrendered to the way God, that they surrender their sexuality to God, they surrender their sex life to God, that that person will live a more satisfying life than the person who takes it and says, I don't trust you, God. I'm sorry, I don't. I think my life will be better if I take this. I really believe the person who lays it down will have a better one. In the long run, maybe not in the moment, maybe in the moment this person will have way more fun, whatever, but I'm telling you in the long run, this one wins out because you've got to trust God's heart. He knows what he's talking about. Do you trust it? When it comes to your sexu- sexuality, your sex life, whatever you want to call it. What about your money? Let's, let's just, it's already awkward, let's just go all the way. I figured we'd just bunch these together so we could just, we'll just move on from there. Do you trust God's heart when it comes to your money? Pastor Rick, he was a pastor before me, he used to say, one of the last things God will get a hold of in a Christian's life is their wallet. You know, God will get a hold of a lot of other stuff, but it's that one thing that we just, we just hold on to the longest. See, because God, God tells us to, to live our financial life a certain way, right? He says to give a percentage to him um, because it's all his anyways, but he wants us to give a percentage back to him. And giving that percentage is a statement that you trust God, not your bank account. That You trust God, not your bank account. But many people struggle with that. There's a lot of reasons for it. I'll be real, real. It's not even written down here. I actually told myself not to say it, but I can't help myself sometimes. <laughs> Part of the reason you struggle with generosity is the church's fault. I, you know, them. Because <laughs> the church has been terrible. And I'll own that, not personally, but I'd say the church, Big C, has, has been terrible with money in some ways, and it makes people not really want to be generous because you don't know what's going to do. You know, what's the church going to do with it? But for me, you know, I've, I haven't always been pastor, so my mentality was that I, it wasn't that I was giving it to the church, it was giving it to God, and it was on the church if they messed it up, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, you guys have to stand before God someday, not me, I'm giving this to God, uh, do with it, hopefully, uh, in a good stewardship way. Um, but I know a lot, of, and, and other times, maybe that's one of the pieces of the struggle, but the other piece of the struggle is people feel like they can barely live off 100% of their income, how are they going to live off 90 they look at what they would have to cut out of their lives. They look, they look at that and they go, I don't think we can do it. And again, Satan whispers again. And he says, your life would be better if you live it different than the way God says. If you don't do what he says to do, your life's going to be better. He whispers yet again, don't trust God's heart. Don't believe him. Don't believe him. Don't do what he says to do with money. Oh man, he uses fear, right? He uses fear to tell you don't do that. It'll be a disaster. Your life will be worse. You'll miss out. He's deceiving in order to destroy. Because there's, <laughs> one, God promises to take care of us when we're generous. When we give to him, he promises to be our provider. No longer is your bank account the thing you trust in, now it's God. You put God in that place. I promise, you want God in that place, not your bank account. So number one, you put God in the place of being your provider when you give back to him and you say, I trust you with my finances. Two, God uses, 
generosity to fight greed and materialism. Did you know that? That actually generosity is a check against greed and materialism, which by the way, we swim in a culture that just is absorbed in it. So if you don't want to be a greedy, materialistic person, one of the best ways you can fight against that is to intentionally be generous. Just always make sure you're giving a percentage back to God and that helps check that. And then three, I think the most important one, is that God uses generosity to help us be a part of building his kingdom. We get to be a part. This, I think it's the best check I would write every week if I wrote one. God, don't because I have it automatically. I just do the thing. Um, but it's the best way, the best place my money goes. It's the most exciting thing that I get to be a part of building God's kingdom on this earth. So Satan's a liar. He wants you to not trust God's heart when it comes to money. So let me ask you. Do you trust God's heart when it comes to your money? This is one of those ones you can like prove it, right? See, I think both these, these subjects, and again, I, I know I'm right because of how awkward and weird it is. You just kind of feel, everybody just gets a little tense when you talk about these two things, sex and money, sex and money. They're really weird to talk about in church, and I think that's because these are the places Satan gets after us. But I want you to know that I believe that the way the Bible says to live, specifically in these two areas, is an invitation by God to say, hey, come and live in harmony with the way I created the world to work. And if you live outside of the way he says to live, you are out of harmony, you are out of sync, and it will inevitably cause damage and destruction in your life. It will. If you get out of sync with the harmony that God created, you will hurt. There will be pain. Surrender. Surrender to the way God says to live. That is the path to a rich and satisfying life. Life to the full. Life to the full. I wish those two subjects weren't so awkward. I'd like, so as a preacher, I have this preacher's mind where I'm always, like, I'm always thinking about you, which is weird, I know, but I am. How can I take this truth and connect it to your brain? But then also, I want to be able to include like personal stories, but those two subjects, I just can't. That's just weird. You don't, you don't want the one, and the other would just be awkward. You know what I'm saying? So I just feel like I'm like having to fight with one hand tied behind my back in those two subjects. I'm going to keep it behind my back for your sake, but um, I really feel strongly I can testify that it's true that living in harmony with the way God created the world to work is a rich and satisfying life. It's true. I won't go into details, but it's true. Um, so Satan as a liar is a deceiver. Satan as a liar is a destroyer. And lastly, I want to um, say that Satan as a liar is a devourer. Devourer. Uh, back to that, circle back to that verse in 1 Peter 5. Stay on alert. Watch out your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, consume. He's a devourer. It's a little different. So I look at, you know, I struggle like, okay, destroy and devour. These are like very similar. They start with D. How are we going to differentiate? I look at destroy like a car wreck. I look at devour like cancer. So, so destroy happens quick. Pow. Destroys your life. Devour, sometimes it's hard to see until it, it's too late. I think the main place Satan wants to devour, the main thing Satan wants to devour in your life is Purpose. Yours. Satan wants to consume your purpose and make sure you never live it out. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to devour your purpose. I think he's got two ways to do this. Uh, number one, I think the easy, most common way that he devours purpose is by distraction. I'm on a kick with the letter D here. Let me go. Um, 
He doesn't need to deceive you. He doesn't need to destroy you if he can distract you endlessly. Anybody want to think that maybe this is his play right now? Maybe he's really enjoying this on repeat over and over and over again. I don't even have to do any of that. I can just keep them distracted until the day they die and they'll never live out their purpose. If he can keep your schedule full of menial things, if he can keep your mind racing, if he can keep your attention on the immediate rather than the eternal, if he can keep a screen in front of your face, he wins. Satan would love for you to be gorged on entertainment and starving for purpose. That's what he wants. So, let me ask you, are you allowing your purpose to slip away one episode at a time? (laughs) One weekend at a time, one quick five-minute glance at your phone at a time. Satan would love to devour your purpose one little distraction at a time. You have to be really intentional if you want to fight that. You do. Listen, if you, I, I get this crap all the time, and forgive me, I, I, people act like, I just don't have time to pursue what God wants me to do. Oh, really? Pull your phone out and tell me how many hours you spent on it, um, just as the average. Last week, we did this in my small group a couple weeks ago. It was awesome. Um, my phone, intentionally on Sunday morning, reminds me how many hours per day I spend on it. It's like God going, hey, remember that time you said, like, that's, a, that's a lot. So people who say they don't have time, I don't know, what are you, what are you doing with it, though? What are you doing with it? So to fight Satan's distraction, you know the thing you're going to have to learn both to tell Satan and yourself and other people? It's really easy. It's only the word is short. It's two letters. No. Tell Satan no. Tell yourself no when you want to do this thing. I get, man, I can get in a place where, like I'll be walking up the stairs. I'm like, oh, it's kind of boring walking up these 12 stairs and look at my phone. Is anybody... Like, that's how, I'll just be real. I'm like, I have a sickness sometimes. Like, my brain is so, like, used to having something going on that I can't even stop for a minute. You laugh because you know you do it too. No. And then with your schedule, you're going to have to say no. You can't say yes to every single thing that comes across you because you'll fill it up with things that are useless and you don't want to have time for the things that matter. Don't tell me you don't have time for purpose. Cut the things out that don't matter. Put the things in that matter. Your purpose is the most important thing in your existence. All, all the roads should be pointed at that in your life. It should orbit purpose. Purpose should not be pushed to the peripheral. If we can squeeze it in, maybe. No. No. That's, that's choices there. You've got to learn to say no. You're going to have to be intentional if you want to fight Satan's attempt to devour your purpose through distraction. But there's another way, and this one's where I want to land. The second way I think Satan wants to devour your purpose is to tell you you are disqualified from it. Satan wants to tell you that the mistakes of your past prevent purpose in your future. He whispers that to you all the time. That God couldn't possibly use a person like you. That God wouldn't possibly want to touch anybody who's been where you've been, done what you've done, seen what you've seen, screwed up like you've screwed up. God doesn't want anything to do with you. He'll tolerate you. He'll let you into heaven, I guess. But he doesn't really want to use you down here. That's what Satan wants you to believe. Devouring your purpose by deceiving you. But listen, this is so important to me. You you screwed up, right? Yes. We're not the kind of church that pretends that's not the case. You've screwed up. 
Um, you got some mistakes in your past, maybe your recent past, and Satan's trying to convince you that your mistakes of your past, those big ones, those craters that are left on your timeline, he's trying to tell you that means God can't do anything with you now. He's trying to tell you that. But I just want to ask you something. Have you ever read like the stories of the characters in the Bible that God used the most powerfully? Like really read them. Not like with the rose-colored glasses on, you know, like the Sunday school version of like, hey, David was a man after God's own heart. Well... <laughs> Not all the time, though, right? Like, let's, let's include all of it. Like, I mean, go down the list of the people who are literally immortalized in the Bible as being these men who lived out their purpose. Look at their lives. Look at what they actually did. Like, Abraham was a really crappy husband sometimes and a bad father, at least to one of his kids, right? I mean, Jacob was a liar and a deceiver and a schemer. God still used him. Joseph, Joseph was an arrogant little bragger. God still used him. Moses straight up murdered a dude. <laughs> God still used him. David committed adultery and God still used him. Elisha, and he, he got hardcore depression and suicidal thoughts. God still used him. Jonah straight ran from God. God still used him. Peter was a coward and a traitor in the worst possible moment, and God still used him. Paul was a terrorist. God still used him. I don't know if you're catching a pattern here, but it seems like the only people God used are the ones who have pasts. The only ones. He actually, he's going through the list. He's only looking for people with jacked up pasts to say, I'm going to change the world through them. So don't you dare, like, don't, come, don't let Satan come at you with that noise. That doesn't make any sense. The biblical record stands against that lie. Not only that, amen. Not, not only that, it, 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 for me, I always, I, I hate these sermons preaching about Satan. It's like, it just doesn't fit for me. I, I like tried to work myself up for it. I hate these sermons. I don't like talking about him. He didn't even deserve the airtime, I guess that's the way I think about it. But it's still important to know our enemy, so I like push through. But um, so I... Oh, it's so weird. I don't know if you guys have, I want to say the sentence. I can't even spit it out. I have a relationship with Satan. Um, I guess what I mean is like, I don't know if you talk back. Do you guys have like an interaction sometimes like with Satan, like you talk to him? I, don't, I do. Maybe that's weird. Um, but like when he comes at me with this stuff, like you can't do that. You can't like even, I'm telling you this spot right here where I stand right here, right before I have to come up here to preach this, he wants to hit me with anything I've done this week that's a little off. He wants to hit me with it. And one of the things I'll say back to him pretty consistently is, dude, you're overplaying your hand. You, you ever, like, so, so you're, you're, you're pushing it too far because what happens then is he breaks me down to this point where I'm like, you're, you're right. You're right. But do you know that place where you finally break down and go, oh, you're right, I'm not. I, I'm not worthy of any of that. That is exactly the beginning of where God wants you to be because then you look up at the cross where Jesus died in your place for your sins and you can go, I'm not worthy, but, but he is and he gives me that. That the very reason Satan is saying you're not able to be used is the very reason Jesus came. You overplayed your hand, man. You, you, you pushed me right into the cross. And that's the only place Jesus wants me anyways, because when I come up here thinking I'm all that, those are the ones where my sermons are like 98%. I'm just seeing you guys can't even do it. Sorry, see, even that. Next week, he'll talk to me about that. Arrogant. But, so worship team, why don't you guys come up here? I'll, I'll end with this. I'll end with this.
Um, so, First Peter five says that Satan is is a is a lion prowling around, um, roaring. He's roaring, right? Which is a weird thing for a lion to do when he's prowling along, around. Um, but here's what I want you to know uh, about a lion's roar. They roar for a couple of different reasons. Um, but the main one, the main reason a lion roar is because he is trying to claim territory. He is letting all the other lions know that he's here, and if they want to stay in the area that they can hear it, that they got to go through him. So that's what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to claim territory in your life. When you hear those roars, when he whispers those things in your ear, he is trying to claim something over you. But man, what I want to hearken back to, what we talked about last week, that he's, he's a pretender. He's not the real lion. That when Satan comes at you with all the stuff you've done and all the, all the sins you've committed and all that past stuff, that I hope you would hear the real lion, the true roar, the roar from the cross. Jesus died for you. And he does have purpose and plans for your life. That he wants to do something amazing with you. God's not done with you. We talk about here all the time. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you still have breath in your lungs, God still has purpose in your life. Don't let Satan beat you down. Don't let Satan distract you from that. Head up, shoulders back. Pursue what God has for you. Don't let him win. Don't give him satisfaction. Pray with me. Jesus, I pray that um, you would do something with like our spiritual ears, Lord, that we would just be in tune to your roar, the true one, the one that has love and mercy and forgiveness built into it. We would, we would lean into that roar. But the person sitting here right now who's feeling like, I, I don't know, I just don't have purpose or I don't know if I can give that part of my life to God, Lord, that they would just have this, this freedom and believing you and trusting you and this love for you that to know that you are worthy of their whole life, of giving it all up to you. You paid the price for them. They're free and clean. Pray that your spirit would just move in this room and draw us to you so we can stand firm when the enemy comes live that life that you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, I pray.